You're listening to the Sprues and Brews podcast, your weekly podcast looking at all things Warhammer. Hello and welcome to episode 170 of the Sprues and Brews podcast. My name is Dave and I'm joined once again by Matt. Hello. And Jay. Hello. It's like the old team today, unfortunately. Is, We're yeah. missing Andy, aren't we? Yeah, I think he's come down with a bad case of uh, gene stealer infestation. So, yeah. <laughs> He'll be back, he but he might have he, more arms. He's run off to get the Space Marines. <laughs> the Inquisitors. So Andy's uh, off this week, but he will hopefully be back next week to join us on the podcast. Now, Matt may have alluded to the big segment this week, and that is the Gene Stealer Cults Codex. Matt, you've got it in your palms, ready to talk about on today's show. I have. It's a super cool book as well. Yeah, really looking forward to it. Gene Stealer Cults, regular listeners of this um, podcast will know, is an army I've quite fancied in the past. So I'm looking forward to, to hearing what Matt has to say about the book uh, today. Um, also, we're going to be looking at our top three units that we wish the rules better reflected. I think that's the best way of wording it, Matt. Yeah, better reflected the law. Yeah, so we're uh, quite a quite a deep thinking one this one I think this week. Yeah, it's uh, it should be fun one. I know we've had quite a few replies on uh, the social medias as well, so looking forward to seeing them. Excellent. We also have the usual helping of news and of course our hobby updates, which we're going to swiftly talk about now. Uh, Jay, what have you been up to in the hobby this week? Unfortunately, I'm no painting, so um, it's been very busy starts of the year with work. Uh, unexpectedly called in over the weekend. I was planning to get Glorfindel. I got him based and sprayed, ready to go, but was not able to uh, work on him this weekend, unfortunately. Um, what I have been doing instead, though, um, is building. So um, I picked up the Wrath of it. Well, myself and Matt picked up the Wrath of Angels um, box set. Um, so I've been building the Eldar um, flyers from that box. Um, they're really really cool. So this is you get the three night wings, which are the um, the the elder interceptors, the forge world versions of them. So these predate the crimson hunters and uh, hemlock wraith fighters that you might be more familiar with from the Games Workshop mainline. Um, and two of the phoenix bombers, which are slightly bigger, like the the, the sort of heavier ground attack vehicles, I guess. Um, really really detailed models. I've not had a look yet, Matt, at the space marine sprues. Um, properly, but I can straight away tell that they're going to be much chunkier than these Eldar flies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all of the all of the aeronautical flyers look amazing, aren't they? Like, you know, these are a lot of vehicles where it'd be ace to have the full size 40k ones, but flyers, including the flying stand, take a lot of space, don't they? Yeah, they're not they're not very practical, are they? In games, although actually, Dave, you used your fly quite well the other day. Uh, your, your Mechanicus one. Yes, I did. Yeah, I do. I do enjoy using a flyer. Um, such as the Corvus, such as the uh, Archaeopter for the uh, Adeptus Mechanicus. And I always try and pick up a flyer if I've, if I've got an army that's got access to one. So, yeah, they're uh, really fun. Um, yeah, so that's me. So I am um, want to get um, the Mounty Glorfindel finished for the next podcast. He is on the top of my sort of painting list. Um, but I am also going to try and get these guys painted as well in my um, Imlock colour scheme for the Craftworld Eldar. Um, there's a lot going on for the old Eldar, Warhammer community teasing a lot of the new Eldar models now. We saw Dark Reapers, I think, today. So I'm feeling very Eldar-y, so I, I don't think it's going to take me very long to um, get some paint on these guys. How long until you grow those uh, elf ears? <laughs> <laughs> need to grow them back. It's been a while. 
it has been a while. Um, it's been um, quite a, a, a building a couple of days for, for me, actually. So I was working on my sisters, but something else has landed on my desk, which has is, is had to divert my attention. Now, I don't think I can really talk about it right now. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I've been enjoying building something else. But unfortunately, that means my hobby update is pretty boring because that's about it. I've dug out my Aeronautica stuff, so I've got a um, an Imperial Fleet. Can't remember what the name of the box was, but it's the one that came with the Valkyries, and I think it's the Lightning Fighters. So I've just got the Lightning Fighters to build, um, and then um, I'm not quite sure how many points that is. I probably need to get a box or something to to top it up to make it into a starting fight. I'm not sure. I'll have to speak to you guys off the yeah um, i'm the not show. too sure yet what like an average size battle is or how many so, planes you need average 150 to 200 points and how many points do you get in like one of these two player star sets matt it depends on the four so i was, I was doing a bit okay. of math i think you get between 120 and 140 with upgrades okay. you could probably do 150 point force using the stuff at the starter box fair okay. enough that's cool then. Um, so yeah, I've got I've got those lightning fighters to to build, which I'll try to do over the next couple of days. Um, but that that's me for the the hobby. Um, Matt, what have you what have you been up to? So I've I've done some painting. I've I've carried on painting the slangors. I'm not very far on them. I've just been um, the skins based and washed. The claws are based and washed. The gold and silver's down. Just waiting for that contrast to go over the metallics. And then, yeah, start building them up. I've, again, like you guys, it's been a busy week. I've not got as much done on them as I'd have liked to have done. Um, I should have them done by the end of next week. And then want to start on, I think, the two characters. Now, we did manage to have a bit of a game with them virtually, didn't we, Dave, the other day? Oh, my goodness. Yes, we did. Yeah. So we we rolled some virtual dice. Um, the, the Head Knights of Sanesh versus... The Ogre Moor Tribes with Kragnos. That was really fun, Matt. It was really, yeah, it was really fun game. It was a bit slower because obviously I'd not used Mortal Slanesh before. Um, but they're pretty scary, aren't they, Dave? Yeah, they're they're very scary. Um, it, it, yeah, they, they, I mean they they work together really well. Like all the different abilities you've got, um, they're a bit more of a finesse army, aren't they? Um, than you would imagine, like. Demons of Sanesh, I mean, I've never really played them, but it's about overwhelming attacks and hitting people hard, glass cannons. Whereas, you know, compared to your previous Slanesh armies, Matt, this was probably a third of the size, wasn't it? But so it's did got have 33 lots of synergy. models, I believe. 33 yeah. models. Super fragile and super weird army to play in that you summon is based on depravity points. So in, the battle, in each battle shock phase, you get a depravity point for each unit that's either suffered an unsaved wound or has got less models than it started with. So because of that, you want to cause as much as many wounds across both armies as possible, which is a really weird concept where, you know, in a combat, there was a time where you were a tyrant. I could have just killed him, but I ignored him because he'd already taken some damage earlier that turn. And yeah. I didn't want to kill him so I could get a depravity point. And then equally, my guys, I kind of want to take some damage um realistically if i'd have made a charge with my general he was just short wasn't he i'd have been able to summon a keeper of secrets turn two yeah yeah as it was i managed to get two keeper of secrets summoned during the game by Mm. turn three not a lot of my original army was left but then there's two fresh keeper of secrets on the boards yeah it's 
it's an interesting one. It's uh, definitely, like you say, a finesse army, but mm. uh, you've got to be careful because if you push too hard in turn one, you're just going to get wiped out. So really fun game. Looking forward to playing with them again. Uh, and then like you guys, I also had a dig out of my Aeronautica stuff. So I think we're all keen to, to play some Aeronautica. Just before recording the podcast, uh, the, the Aeronautica Imperialis Companion arrived from Games Workshop. We're very kind and they sent us a copy to uh, to review. Um, I'm allowed to talk about it because it went on pre-order on Saturday. And there's some really cool stuff in here. They've got the, the Necron army list in here. There's loads of advanced special rules for like smoke and stuff coming out your vehicles. So tomorrow I'll probably be doing the review to go on the website of that. But yeah, I'm keen to fly some planes. Well, my, my plan is to try and get this starter set. Uh, there's actually three Phoenix Bombers. I'm building them here. I didn't realize there was three Phoenix Bombers. I thought it was only two. So my plan is to get these these six Eldar planes painted for the next uh, club night uh, so we can take them down and, and, and give it a whirl, try and learn the rules. Yeah, amazing. Sounds good to me. Excellent. I think with that in mind, we're going to take a pause and we'll come back with all of this week's latest news. So what do we have in this week's news, Matt? Well, we've got quite a chunky pre-order this week, headed up with uh, the Kill Team starter set, which comes in at, I don't know about you guys, but a, a rather good £65. Mm, yeah, that's not bad, better than I expected. So that's got the, the core rules, which of course wasn't included in the Chalnath box. Uh, it's got yeah. a recruit edition book as well with basic starter rules. So it's good that you get the basic ones and the full rule book in there. All your tokens and templates and markers and dice. You get some orc barricades and scenery. Um, not the big orc kind of village out of uh, Octarius, but you get the barricades and stuff. You get a full uh, kill team of uh, Death Corps Krieg and a full kill team of orc commandos and the board to play on for £65. That seems really good to me. Mm. Yeah, that is really good. So, and obviously, if you if you kind of your entry point was Chalnath and you haven't got the the core rules and stuff, this is a good thing to add to that as a bit of a uh, upgrade as well. Now, the rest of the stuff that was in the Octarius box is available separately. So there's an Octarius Codex, which basically contains the rules for the Krieg and the Orc Commandos. So that's something to bear in mind if you pick up this box. Uh, it is based around the um, <laughs> those, those two kill teams and those rules are in a separate book. Um, the Kill Zone Octarius scenery is all the scenery that was available in the Octarius box. £60, which again seems really good considering you got a lot of scenery in that box. It's good mm. if you wanted to just buy that because you could add that to your original Kill Team box and you've got like a, a, a thousand points battle size for 40k Orc Village then. Yeah, exactly. Right which is something that I might do myself. And then the Orc Commandos were available separately for 3650 and the Death Corps Krieg are available for 3450. So obviously if you bought the starter set, the Orc scenery and the Octarius supplement, that's going to cost you more than the Octarius box did. Yeah. So obviously if you want them to try and get hold of it, it just shows what kind of a discount you got on that box. But I, I, I'm really happy with £65 for the starter. That's that's cheaper than I thought it'd be, and I think that's a good price considering. What is it? Twenty-four get... models, is it? Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you, just the models in the box comes to seventy-something pound. Plus, you get the yeah. scenery and the rules and all the the templates and markers and dice and stuff. I think that looks sounds pretty cool. Um, if you play Warhammer Forty Thousand, 
The Knackmund Mission Pack, which is this season's Mission Pack, is up for pre-order for £25. So that contains your match play rules and missions for this season, plus the points adjustments for this season as well. So because all the points are in there, I think that's going to be, a, I guess, a, an essential buy for 40k players. Whether or not people agree with the, the, the season format, whether people get a bit of um, supplement fatigue, if we've got you know two of these books a year now, we'll have to wait and see. I know we've talked about it in the past, haven't we? Um, yeah. And is now, it just um, is it just points there? Is there any um, power level adjustments is, in that? This is based oh. on match play, so okay. it's just points. Okay. Uh, so obviously, if you, if you play Crusade, yeah, you don't need that. There's loads of Crusade supplements that have come out. Um, yeah. Obviously, if you are playing tournaments. This is going to be the tournament pack that GW use at their events for the next six months as well. So just bear that in mind. If you prefer your battles on a smaller scale, we've got some goodies coming out for Necromunda. Now, <laughs> bit of a funny one, first of all. We've got the Hive Scum. So the Hive Scum were previously available in a box with 12 miniatures, I believe, for £26, I want to say. You can now get a box of four Hive Scum for £12. It's a bargain. Uh. <laughs> yeah, uh, and the original 12-man box has been discontinued. Now, obviously, that box was set up at starting an outlaw gang, where this is more so if you want to add some generic hive scum to your your gang that you hire during yeah. a campaign. Yeah, I, uh, I I don't know, I don't know. I, I I think they would have been better just keeping the 12-man box, surely. Yeah, they obviously saw a few pound signs there. I think I think maybe they didn't think many people would have it as as an actual full gang yeah i mean I guess what there's I do... two ways to look isn't there i guess if you if you aren't doing a full gang and you just want to add a couple of gangers 12 pounds to add a couple of gangers is more palatable than a box yeah, of I gangers suppose. most of which you won't use i guess is the logic yeah possibly but um yeah it, it, yeah so at, at half the cost for a third of the content is a question mark in my eyes but it's it is what it is isn't it um we've also got the underdog cards these were a limited release a while back and they have been reprinted it's a really fun mechanic that balances out where you've got an irregularity on credit value of your gangs so say if i had a thousand credits in my gang and you had 600 credits in your gang dave you'd be able to draw some underdog cards to give you a bit of a leveler a bit of an advantage coming up against my harder gang so that's really cool people really like these but they've been really hard to get without paying stupid money on ebay so it's really cool that games workshop have reprinted them uh, they're nine pound fifty we've also got the delac weapons pack 15 pounds you know the drill two plastic frames with a load of weapon options essentially replaces the resin upgrades that forge world did that uh, most of the gangs have got these now so again i think that's a really cool thing and makes it a lot more accessible to kind of customize the weapons on your gangers rather than having to play around with resident ones and if you're you know if you're not maybe a, a more kind of experienced hobbyist you might be a little bit intimidated by you know washing the resin and sticking them to plastic models so plastic definitely makes it easier doesn't it absolutely from a forge world point of view we have got the slopper and the scabber coming for necromunda this is the most horrific cook that you've got in the universe He's definitely not sanitary looking. I think mm. he's got a cigar while he's cutting up like an octopus's tentacle. I need to get him because he's really cool. And he comes with the uh, the scabber, who is essentially the Resident Evil 4 what are you buying guy. So, yeah, they're really cool. We've also got the Rat Ogre coming for um, 
for Blood Bowl, which I thought came out a long time ago, but I must be mistaken. Hmm. I think there was uh, I think they've been a missing player. That <laughs> it's like Groundhog Day. Yeah, I'm sure that one came out already. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so so yeah, if you play Blood Bowl and you want your big guy, you can get your big guy. Amazing. So in non-pre-order news, uh, we had an article called upon Warcom today with another one of the Horus Heresy exemplary battles, this time featuring the Dark Angels versus the Death Guard. So you're a bit of a Dark Angels uh, fan, aren't you, Dave, in the Heresy era? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I like the Dark Angels. Well, These ones are wearing Dark bone Angel. armour, aren't they? They, 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 um, a, in the image on the website, they've got some Death Guard who are nearby by a guy who's a dark angel i don't know uh, what armor they actually wear themselves it might just be in a blur <laughs> of images yeah um this is the battle of perditus umbral 51 apparently oh yeah and it contains uh, some narrative battles and some narrative we've seen a few of these now going through different kind of war zones in the heresy but it also contains rules for two new units the order of the broken claws which is a specialized units of knight's Kenobium which I believe are the, the resin guys that you've got, Jay. Yeah, they're really nice, those ones are. So these are a specialised order of them with their own special rules. And then for the Death Guard, there's the Mortis Poisoners, who are their own um, special kind of custom squad. I quite like that they're introducing all these in these uh, Warhammer Community articles. Yeah, I mean, free rules. <laughs> it's really good. Um, yeah, well, it's free rules and a little campaign system. It's, yeah. Yeah. Release the box I, already. <laughs> well, I do wonder, do we think all this stuff might find itself into some kind of book in the future? Like a compendium, yeah. Yeah, because we all like our, our our books full of rules rather than on the website. Definitely cool that they include, you know, the free on the website. But yeah, and, and new units as well. It's definitely a good sign of what's to come from Heresy, isn't it? You wonder as well if they're using this as a, almost like a sort of early access beta test type thing so you know they get the rules out there for free people can start using them maybe they might collect some feedback and tweak some rules and whatnot in the new edition when they finally release it yeah which would suggest that the new edition is heavily based on the old edition though i know there's been would, yeah. conflicting rumors about that i mean there's nothing to stop them putting this stuff out to let people use it now and then brand new edition changes everything in the summer who knows mm. And again, that's assuming it comes out this summer. It might be 2030 at this rate, but yeah. that box is coming one day. Um, <laughs> of interest to me, as part of the Vigilus um, story arc season, whatever we want to call it, um, we have got a brand new battle zone, and I love the look of this. So Ooh. it's been a while since we had a full kind of battle zone box. Obviously, we've got the the kill zone battles, uh, kill team battle zone coming out for Octarius. This seems to have a lot more stuff in it. So it's got STC hab bunkers, it's got a landing pad, it's got a big antenna, it's got an all spec shrine, all sorts of cool stuff. And it looks, look at the images, it looks quite big as well. Yeah. Mm. I uh, I got to get me some of them satellite dishes. And they also mentioned that in the Vigilus um, Alone narrative supplement that's on the horizon, there's some terrain specific crusade agendas that you can do where your units can interact with these various terrain pieces on the battlefield. So that's quite cool as well. So I think I might have to pick up these because um, they look really, really nice. I I really like these. And what I also like, and we've got people like Ray, super, super fan Ray, 
to thank is they're all compatible with all the current um, scenery kits as well. So you've got like all the pipe work that you can put all your pipes going to. I also get um, a good kind of um, zone mortalis linking um, feeling from this as well. Yeah, well, these bunkers and stuff look really good as part of a zone mortalis layout. You also get some like fences and gates and stuff as well. So, yeah, I think basically anything from the 40k scenery range can kind of be bashed together now which is a really cool thing so yeah looking forward to uh to trying these out and then the final bit of news that we've got today it's just a little point and nobody really cares listening to this. <laughs> it is plastic dark reapers jay do you want to tell us more oh yeah so so dark reapers are um an aspect warrior of the eldar so the eldar have um what's known as aspects these are elite sort of they follow different paths of Cain and Dark Reaper. I can't. I think it's the aspect of death. So you've got like the fire dragons, which are like the aspect of destruction, and uh, I think, um, and um, the, the the howling banshees, Dire Avengers, aspect of like um, the noble warrior, noble defender, and um, the Dark Reaper is aspect of death. And and these models, like they've done with a lot of Games Workshop sort of old um, 40k kits. We saw it with Mephiston. Um, who else have we seen it? Khan where they've sort of taken the old, like, classic um, metal miniature and sort of just given it a fresh um, breath of life. It, it, you know, it looks very similar. All the old sort of uh, um, aesthetic and stuff is still there. It's just been refined for the sort of 21st century, so to speak. Um, so the, these these are just a big improvement on the current Dark uh, Reaper models. They've got, like, the chunkier plates on the bottom of the legs like the stabilizers they've got their rangefinder fins off the top of their helms the skull sort of motif down their face um the exarch in particular these are like the squad sergeants looks really really cool so you've got the um, classical shuriken cannon weapon that they can take and then it looks like a i always thought the reaper launcher the the the, the reaper launcher that the exarch took which was like a double barreled reaper launcher the reaper launcher like the missile launchers Always looked a bit goofy on the old Eldar Exarch. They were always the Exarchs were quite small, the weapons quite big. But this one's like triple barreled, I believe, three barreled missile launch. It looks so cool on the Exarch. Um, so this is really great. We sort of had a, 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 a hunch that the Dark Reapers would be coming in plastic form, following the sort of teaser that we suspect is Morgan Ra, who is the obviously the Phoenix Lord of the of the Dark, Dark um, Reapers. Um, so these are going to look great. Def, definitely be picking up a squad of these. Um, it looks like you can kit them out for, for anti-infantry and um, anti-tank as well, anti-vehicle. So ordinarily, I think the Exarch had like the anti-vehicle weapon. Um, it'll be really cool to see in the new rules how their Exarch powers have been refined for Ninth Edition. These are like each aspect squad has, um, I think this was thanks to Psychic Awakening, actually added multiple sort of Exarch powers for the squad sergeant. So you could sort of tailor the squad in one direction or the other. Um, I'm just excited now. It's really, really cool, you know, what we'll see next week in the following Monday. Um, I really hope this isn't the only plastic aspect warrior we see. There's a few aspect warriors that I'd like to see redone. Warp spiders, sweeping hawks, for example. These are really old metal models that go back, I don't know, 25, 30 years, I think. Um, Dave, one year, I think, for my birthday or for Christmas, you bought me the Eldar um, artwork book. I've got Mm. it down here on my shelf. Um, And this is full of, like, Jess Goodwin sketches of all the Eldar, um, all the vehicles, the infantry, the Wraith units, the uh, aspect warriors over the years. And it just goes to show how timeless these sort of designs were because they released the Dark Reapers like we've seen today. And, you know, it could have come straight out of this um, sketchbook. Yeah, I'll have to take some pictures of this and um, 
share them on the on the on the group so you can see them. But it's so cool, just all like pencil sketches that Jez had done. Um, I've just flipped open the page here and we've got the Eldor Nightwing there, <laughs> which is cool because I've just been building that. Um, so yeah, so so really really cool. Um, so I mean, Eldar players are in for a treat. We've seen the new Rangers, the Shroud Runners, the Autark, the alternative Autark build that you can get as well. We've seen the Eldar Guardians now, and then and then these Dark Reapers. Um, so it, it's shaping up to be a pretty big um, release, isn't it? A big refresh for the Eldar um, faction. Yeah. I think this is going to be a chunky release for them. What's interesting as well, this box um, contains options for using them in a Yanari army. So yeah. the helmetless option allows you to use them as part of a Yanari force, which is interesting. That is really good because yeah, because I mean Yanari, it's been a bit of a sort of I don't know the forgotten stepchild, hasn't it? A little bit. We, they sort of came in. Was it the end of eighth, the end times or whatever it was? Not the end times. That was Age of Sigma, wasn't it? What was the eighth? Yeah. Gathering Storm. Uh, with the return of the Gilliman, we had the three Inari characters, the Incarn, uh, the, um, uh, I can't remember the other two names, the Witch and the uh, Warrior. Um, and then, like you say, Dave, you mentioned in the chat the other day that their rules sort of change a lot and they sort of lost, I mean, what what kind of playstyle are they supposed to be? What kind of army are they supposed to be? They're a mismatch of the different Eldar factions. They don't really have a distinct identity of their own. But now I guess if, you know, we're getting... A, aspect warriors with alternative helms that you can equip to make them look in Ari, you know and it's like a cloaked almost looks like a wood elf ranger doesn't it mm. um and if you if you can sort of carry that theme throughout your entire craft world army and maybe in the future you maybe even uh, some dark eldar sort of upgrade kits that you can sprinkle the, around your kind of like warriors and things i'm almost certain and this was somebody listening to the podcast and will prove me wrong, that the Incubi that they redid for the Drakari have bare heads. Oh, so you could have them for Yanari. I could be wrong. Um, I think if I if I was to ever return to the Eldar, because I've always fancied pa- painting uh, Yvrain um, yes. and having her leading a force, I might do a little bit of a, a Yanari force. I think they're really nice. But um, yeah, it's great giving you these options. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I, I wonder. Really... You know, we've had... The upgrade frame that came out for the uh, Grey Knights, no, the Black Templars, and the upgrade yes. frame that came out for the, the Cadians, obviously we had from for the Gene Steeler Colts, they could easily do a frame for kits that predate these Dark Reapers with just some head options to yep. Inari up your old force. That would be pretty cool. It would be cool, yeah. It, 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 yeah, it does sort of as well. The, the focus, it, it makes me think that when the Craftworld Elder do eventually get their new codex, I think maybe the Inari are going to be a proper fleshed out force in that book so that you can make a proper Inari army rather than it just feeling a bit tacked on as it has done recently, I think, uh, which is interesting, which means, that, you know, potentially you're going to have a lot of different sort of builds and things from this Craft World Order book. It's going to be comparable almost to like a Space Marine Codex. Mm. And that leaves the door open for Codex supplements as well, further tuning into the various aspects, for want of a better word, of the older. Yeah. That would be cool. I mean, back in third edition, of course, the Craftworld Eldar did have supplements. Well, one mm-hmm. supplement, Craftworld Eldar supplement, <laughs> which was a great book, actually. But yeah, that's great. So yeah, so I'll, I'll be um, glued to Warhammer Community um, this time next week as well to find out what the next reveal is. Dave reckons it might be. You think there's a clue at the end, do you, Dave? You think there might be some sort of seer or something being released? We'll have to see. Uh, yeah, we? yeah, that's that's what I think. Maybe some new plastic characters. Well, the Eldar are renowned for their psychers, so I mean, and, and of course, I mean, they've got some nice warlock kits. They've got a nice spirit seer kit. 
the, the, the Warlock kits are looking quite old now. And there was the um, Bone Singer as well. So they've got quite a few options for Psychotype units. Mm. Might see something new. Or, or, or like an Ari themed Psyche. You know, someone's like um, focused around the, the cult of the dead god. Let's face it, we want to see elves on dinosaurs. <laughs> Exodites, that would be cool. <laughs> and I think that just about wraps up this week's news. Now, don't look now, guys. But I think there's a cult uprising, so let's take a quick pause and come back with our next Codex review. So we had a double header of pre-orders. We had the Asteptus Custodes book, and we also had the Gene Sealer cults. Now, last week we ran through the Custodes. That means this week we're going to be checking out the Gene Sealer cults 9th edition book. Both me and Matt are a big fan of these. Matt's Matt's got a nice little army of Gene Steelers, uh, Gene Steel cultists that is. So who better to take us through the book than Matt? So Matt, take take it away. Wow. So first of all, we've got the full the full kind of like formal review and video up on the website, and a lot of people have probably already got this in their hands. So I'm not going to do the traditional. We go through all the pages and go through all the units because you've already seen them. You've probably already read the review. What I want to talk about is how the army plays, how the army works, what's changed for the good, what's changed for the worse. Now, we um, we managed to have a game using the new rules, didn't we, not so long ago. In And um, yeah, I was quite surprised how good these were in a fight. Now, there's been a lot of... Um, there's been a lot of... A bit, a, bit, a bit of a hoo-ha online, I think it's fair to say, about um, Crossfire and it being complex... Don't listen to that. It's not it's not complex. It's not complex at all. Basically, you the way the army works is that you're trying to set up buffs for your different units, getting units in advantageous positions to make your other units get a benefit. So in that, the way that you play GC the Cortis has changed quite a little bit. So the way kind of crossfire works is is not not difficult at all, really. Basically, what you're trying to do is set up your units for different advantages and bonuses. And a lot of that's based on positioning. And that's something else they've kind of baken into the uh, the main army rules in the way they strike from the shadows and pop up. Now, in the previous book, you had kind of a, a two part one. Either you place them as blips and your enemy will find out later on where they're deployed. Or you could put your units underground and they would pop up outside of nine inches like any other army and the problem was that all armies can do some kind of like deep strike or um kind of ambush or reinforcement mechanic now in ninth edition but it wasn't really special to the gene stealers anymore so what they have done is taken that and made it better so now you can still place your army as blips that's perfectly fine you can also put your um units underground so this will be infantry and bikes. So you can't do it with your vehicles because it's a bit silly for a, I don't know, a rock grinder to be hiding underneath the battlefield and then rumble up. It's cool as that'd be. When you bring your units in from um, underground, you can now put them eight inches away if you want them to charge, which is brilliant. You get an extra inch on other armies. Or alternatively, you can deploy outside of six inches which is massive. You don't get to charge if you do that, but it puts you in a really advantageous position. It's um, something that's going to throw a lot of armies because at the minute, when you're trying to stop units from coming down from reserves, you'll be 
kind of screening out those nine inch areas to make sure people can't drop down there. The fact that you can drop six inches outside of them will catch some people out. And there's quite a lot of table space you can get into to do that. Yeah, and, and, and a lot of the units that you might be deep striking in a cult, a cult uh, army probably don't want to be charging anyway. And yeah, it might be sort of, well, you, you're in that case, you're throwing them away. Well, not really, because you, you're in a really good shooting position. You're going to be within half ranges almost undoubtedly, uh, and you're forcing your opponent to have to deal with that unit that's six inches away from them. Yeah, well, it, it kind of comes two parts. Part of it is setting up your units for crossfire. So we'll cover it briefly for the people that don't know. To put a crossfire unit down on a uh, crossfire market down on a unit, you have to either hit them five times with a damage one weapon, or hit them once with a weapon with more than one damage. So the easiest way to do that: throw a unit of guys with flamers six inches away and just burn them off the board. You're pretty much guaranteed for five, I don't know, five um, acolytes. You, you're going to get those five hits just on your auto hits with the flamer. The fact that you can put them six inches away if you don't want to charge means that you can put them in such a way that you then expose the unit to your guys on the other side suddenly 10 neophytes with shotguns are terrifying so fighting you jay with your eldar (laughs) strength four shotguns don't sound very strong but when they're wounding eldar on twos because they've exposed a target that's terrifying (laughs) yeah yeah well yeah Likewise, even when you're fighting, you know, tanks and the like, you might only be normally wounding on sixes or fives. Upping that to fives or fours, again, makes a massive difference, especially when there's units in the book that can give exposed to a unit as well. So the uh, the uh, Jekyll Alphas on the bike can pick an enemy unit and the biker plus one other friendly unit counts that unit as exposed. If that other unit happens to be I don't know, a unit of ridge runners with mining lasers, they could be hurting tanks on twos because of the plus one to wound. Some really cool stuff that you can set up with it. And uh, so we're just scratching the surface of what you can do tactically with the army. I think it's going to be an interesting one to play. It's a bit more, we mentioned this about the Slanesh early, but I think it's going to be a bit more of a finesse one where you're going to have to get things teed up to work later. And that's going to be a fun list to play. What's also really cool about this book is that there's loads of different playstyles as well. You can go hordes with lots of guns. You can go gribbly tyranid style monsters that are really good in close combat that have all got plus one strength because of the cult they belong to. You could go Mad Max themed all bikes and vehicles. And out of a lot of recent 40k books, I think it's a rare one where every unit in the book is really cool. And you can't possibly fit in every single model you want to take. Which you think is a good problem to have, isn't it? It is, absolutely. And let's be honest, it just means you've got to buy more. And that's that's what GW want. Yeah, uh, 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 there are ways of making a cheaper army for Genesis of the Cups. I know you've not committed in the past because you viewed them as a expensive horde army, Dave. Absolutely, yeah. And I'm sure you might touch upon something else later on in regards to a box that you can buy to help you. But yeah, to, to build a good Gene Silical army would cost quite a bit of money. In the old days, in the old days, in the new one, you can buy pretty much whatever combination you want and you'll make it work. You alluded to the Combat Patrol earlier. I think we talked about it last week on the last show. Last week we did, yes. Yeah. I think it's one of the best um, sets that they've done. You yeah. get so much in it. 
two units of uh, neophytes, a unit of acolytes, a unit of metamorphs, a primus and a ridge runner gives you all the core components. Arguably, the only thing that you're missing for a starter force is the brood coven because you want to have that primus. You want to have that patriarch in there. Uh, other than that, if, if you start a crusade force, get that and you're, you're well on your way to, to start in a um, genius of the court army. So. It, it, it would be handy if you picked up Shadow Throne. <laughs> well, exactly, yeah. That plus Shadow Throne is a good size, you know, good sized army. So hopefully that's a sign of combat patrols going forward because most of them have been good. A few of them have been a little bit random, haven't they? Well, well, we saw those. Um, we spoke about it in the news last week. They've announced the next five. So these cover the the more recent ninth edition books and also the Tau, which we know is on the horizon. And like you say, the, there's a mix. The cults were great. Um, the Tau one's great. The Thousand Custodian Sons, one was good. Custodian one's good. Thousand Sons, on the other hand, pretty poor. So yeah, it's an odd one. Yeah. So you guys, you guys have faced the new genes in the courts on the field of battle. How did you find fighting them? The, um, it was the Trixie Banners that got me trying to finish a unit off for them to just come back. More of the cultists everywhere. Cool mechanic. We see it in a few. It's, it's quite. It's, I always associate it with um, death armies from from Warhammer. Uh, that yeah. sort of bringing models back. It's um, uh, yeah. I didn't even mention that. So call the court is the ability. So you've got two things that generate that. So all of your kind of like main infantry units can take a banner. They're expensive. They're like twenty points. It's a you know, so you could take some more guys for that. But I'd argue, always take the banner, because it's going to force your opponent to have to take out the unit. If they leave one or two, they're coming back. Likewise, your uh, icon ward, the big kind of like army standard, also has an effect. The, in, the unit banners will bring back models to their unit, with the acolytes getting D3 and the neophytes getting D6. The um, icon ward affects all core units, so that's all the units that can take a banner, plus jackals, which are your, your bikers, that's massive because n- numerous times in the battle that we had, an almost wiped out unit was nearly up to full strength again, which is really frustrating to fight against. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and both of those banners stack as well. So there's a hard cap. You can't get any more than six of your basic guys, three of your other guys. But still, it gives, in case you roll a one on that D3, it gives you a bit of insurance then, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, it does. I think the most important thing to take away from this book is they feel more ambushy. They feel more sneaky. And that's exactly what I want from a Gene Steel Court army. I don't want um, a an Imperial Guard army with Griblies. You know, I want an army that's going to be popping up within six inches, throwing loads of demo charges. You know, I want a Mad Max style army. I want, you know, never ending hordes of cultists. Yeah, One thing that's... we didn't see much of in, in the game, Matt, was the, um, the, the psychic side, because they do have some quite formidable psychics in their ranks. Well, as well, less so than they used to be. They used okay. to be a very powerful psychic army. They have toned it down massively because there used to be spells that, shut down Overwatch, which is a big deal for the Genes of the Courts. I think because they can get so much closer to you from ambush, they've kind of stopped that side of things. Okay, okay. Because a, a, a pretty, let's face it, a pretty much guaranteed charge and you can't Overwatch them would probably be a little bit too much. 
And I suppose as well, Overwatch now isn't as prevalent as it used to be anyway. So no, exactly. So so that that's gone. There used to be a spell similar to the Harlequin one, where basically you keep rolling dice until the unit dies. That yep. now has a hard cap as well. So I think you can still I think you can still get through a fair few wounds, but it's not infinite wounds anymore. Okay. So that's okay. been toned down a little bit. Um, there is cool stuff you can do, like making units eligible to um, to um, to fall back and charge or counter stationary when they shoot. Now I was playing Rusted Claw, so they have that built in as like a faction bonus anyway. So that was a spell that wasn't really any good to me. What I didn't have in the army because we were quite playing quite a small points level was metamorphs and gene stealers. There's a spell that gives all you uh, models in the unit plus one attack which on gene stealers and stuff is terrifying mm. yeah and then yeah is... lots of stuff that kind of can can mess with uh stats so minuses to hit rolls minuses to leadership modifiers to combat attrition so lots of stuff that messes with the enemy force but not necessarily the kind of over top powers that they had before which again isn't isn't a bad thing i think it uh, this, I think, is one of the most internally balanced books that I've seen, where oh, good. all the units are good and everything works well together. I think to get the most of it, you're going to need to know how the army plays and, and what works well. But I don't think it's a case where there's a, a cookie-cutty list that's necessarily better than the other. Because you've got all those different cults that, that you know, synergize with different things, you can do your pure close combat army if you want to, or you can do your sneaky stealthy army if you want to and really there's quite few books that have the luxury of being able to play it however you want to play it without maybe um penalizing yourself by playing it in that style mm. Mm. such as all last week's review is the perfect example uh the custodians i think you said jay they've 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 tweaked the shooting they're a little bit better at shooting but they're still not a shooting army they are no. a close combat army um so if you're playing custodians then you've got to like combat yeah, exactly. And like like this, you know, you've got some brutal close combat units, but like we said at the start, Nia fights with shotguns with plus one to wound. The Primaris Marines are wounding on threes if you get them um, exposed. Yeah. And, you know, they get two shots each. That's a relatively cheap squad that can just pop up six inches away from those space marines as well. Uh, yeah. yeah, bring your ore spec scanners and stuff that drop, stop deep strike if you're uh, playing against you and steal the courts because that will ruin their plans. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they they feel very much like the army and something else that feels like the army should be is the crusade rules. So we've talked about crusade a lot on this podcast and what what's cool, what works, what doesn't work. This has got to be... One of the most thematic slash complex crusade sections I've seen in a book so far. Essentially, what you are trying to do is take over a planet. You will first of all pick, you'll start your path if you've got a um, Patriarch, a Primus or a Magos. You'll pick the type of world that you're trying to take over, whether it be a hive world or a forge world or an agri world. There's like six different planet types you can have. On that planet, there'll be a number of different kind of districts and communities that you're slowly trying to influence and take over so for an example a uh, hive world has got communities it's got industry and it's got politics your cultists are trying to infiltrate themselves into those different areas of the planet and do it without being seen 
So to do that, after a game, you um, you roll a d6 and you add some modifiers based on what's happened. And if you get between four and seven, you get an ascension points. Once you've got three ascension points, you can take over one of those those places. So it could be you take over a community or you take over a factory or something like that. You get a modifier if you win the battle. You get a modifier if you do any shadow operations um, agendas. You get a negative modifier if you have any high fleet units, because it's not very inconspicuous bringing a Carnifex along, for example. Mm. So quite like that. You're trying to you're trying to do that secretly in the background. The more parts of a planet you take over, the more wary a planet becomes. And this is where the brood cycle comes in. So if you know how gene silicates work, they'll infect a planet. A patriarch is born. They will then seed the first generation or then go through various generations of their families until eventually some fresh, pure strain gene stealers are born. They escape off the planet, go infect another world. The tyranids come and consume the entire planet. Everybody lives happily ever after, probably. <laughs> the more, the further you get down your brood cycle, the easier it is for the forces on the world to to, to basically find out that, you know, you've... Um, you know, the, the, they find the plot. They, they find out that the Tyranids are coming. And again, there's a discovery role that is made later on in the system. And what you'd probably do is get other people in your gaming group to make that discovery role. And again, there's modifiers. So if you lose the battle, it's more likely you get found out. Um, if you didn't manage to complete any shadow operations, it's more likely that you get found out. So what's really cool is that if you fail this discovery role, you immediately have to play a cinematic one-off battle to represent the forces of the planet rising up to stop you while you welcome in the Day of Ascension. So you can really easily get your gaming group together and get some planetary defence forces set up and build a cool table to show the planet trying to overthrow the Gene Steel Uprising as it's rising up and the skies filled with horrific tyrannid monsters. If you win it, brilliant. The planet's consumed. You live happily ever after, probably. Maybe not when the gene stealers consume you. If you fail it, your HQ gets a permanent battle scar that they have to have, and you have to slink off into the shadows and try and take another planet. I really, really like that, especially the fact that it encourages you to do this big cinematic trying to take over the world end game mission. I don't think we've seen anything like that in any of the other 40k books, have we? No, I don't think we have. No, yeah. it's almost like. Um... Uh, mighty empires where you like you know um, you've got these like these territories that you're trying to manage as well as your army which is cool yeah there's there's echoes of path to glory in this Mm, and i'd love to see it expanded even further but it's such a cool idea and i think we've seen the concept of like special showpiece one-off games in age of sigma haven't we in the stormcast and the uruk book and I hope it's something that we see going for. Obviously, we didn't see anything like that in the Custodes book. And I guess it's quite good that they're not using the same gimmicks in all the Crusade armies. But it is a cool idea, especially yeah, if, you it, can, if you know that at some point during the Crusade, it all might go wrong and your, your friends paint up a guard army or something to represent the forces <laughs> on the planet. That'd be pretty ace. Yeah, it would be very cool. I'd... <sighs> Yeah, I hope they continue. Like you say, I hope they continue with these like individual um, mechanics. You know, 
the mechanics that suit the armies. Um, we, again, we talked about the combat patrol being a bit hit and miss. So is the crusade content. But from everything I've read, everything you've told me, Matt, this sounds perfect. Yeah, it's really, really fun. So I'm not going to go too much into the individual units because, again, we've, we've, we've had talked about them on the on the, uh, the YouTube video and on the website. Like I say, most units have had an improvement. Most units that weren't taken before are now really good. I don't think there's a bad unit in the book, if I'm honest. Different different units for different things, and that's how a book should be. There shouldn't be any no-brainer choices and ones that you never touch. Now, not every book works like that, which is a bit of a shame, especially when, you know, we've seen, from what we've seen of the Tau previews, there's some stuff that looks absolutely bananas. There's nothing quite on that level in this book, but I think with a good player, Gene Steeler Courts could be super strong. Okay. Yeah, I um, I'm looking forward to using them. I've um, I've got probably about two thousand points of Gene Steeler Courts built, and I want to add some more. Um, elephant in the room. If you're doing Brood Brothers Army, you're gonna have a different army. All of the guard units have been removed from the book. So if you want to do a Brood Brothers force now. You take a separate detachment, an Aspen Militarum detachment. It loses the um, the um, regiment keyword and instead gets the Brood Brothers keyword. If the Aspen Militarum force is no more than 25% of your army, then you get to keep all your crossfire rules and your army rules. And again, this will be controversial, but I like how that works. It kind of harkens back to older editions of the game where you actually had a percentage of your army you could take as reinforcements. Mm-hmm. I'd really like to see this rule in the Chaos Space Marine book, where you could take 25% of guard to use as a uh, as a traitor guard army, or potentially 25% of demons, demons and get to use them as part of your force without breaking any allegiance abilities. Mm. I think I think that's a nice balance. Where sometimes some of the gene stealer court armies they built was an imperial guard army with gene stealers, and I don't think that was the intent. No, no, it definitely was. So yeah, so it's cool. I I don't mind that. Now obviously I had I had minimal brood brother bits, and I wouldn't object to adding twenty five percent of the army as a separate detachment and taking some Lehman Russes and stuff to give you some some you know heavy punching power with those. Obviously, if you had uh, army that was predominantly guard, you're probably better off using it as an Astra Militarum army now. So yeah, yeah. it's one of it's one of those. I what, what are your thoughts on the, this change to how Brood Brothers work? I think um, I think it makes sense um, because that's not what the cults are about. They're about the uprising and stuff, and you're not going to have many Lehman Russes hanging around. We were joking about. You could take a death strike in a gene stealer thought army. It's not something you imagine would just be lying around for them to use, but at least the option's still left for you to do that. And you know, I've seen some incredibly converted stuff where the, the cults have taken over some imperial vehicles, and they're all still going to be valid. In fact, you, you, you've got more options now, haven't you, than you did before, really? Um, yes, it was basically your second detachment. You're not even limited. Your second detachment is anything from the Astro Militarum book. The only limiting factor is that you can't have more than 25% of your army yeah. coming from the Guard book, which, again, if you're taking more than 25%, I'd argue, just take a Guard army. Yeah. And I think in match play, you, there is 
an element of that, those sort of restrictions. We see it with like um, uh, so many certain hits, like the Death Guard, you can only take so many of those lords per detachment and things like that. And it's done to make the games balanced against one another. But in narrative games, there's nothing stopping you taking a Brood Brother Guard regiment and, you know, you're playing a battle where the entire planetary defence force has been corrupted by the Gene Steels. It doesn't matter so much in narrative play. I think those kind of restrictions are in there purely for the match play side of things. Um, yeah. Where, where it's important you have that sense. Because obviously, uh, you know, if, you, if one person rocks up to the table with an Imperial Guard army and the other person rocks up with 100%, Gene Steel Cult's Brood Brothers, you're basically an Astra Militarum plus one, aren't you? So Exactly, yeah. And and if you think about what they're not, but say if there was a mechanic that allowed, you know, your Shadow Sword to use Crossfire and stuff, there's lots of little rules, kind of loopholes that open up the more open you make it, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and that's not what the intention is. But at least yeah. the framework's there to use it outside of match play, should you wish. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you mentioned earlier you wouldn't expect a Gene Steeler Court Army to have a Death Threat missile. I absolutely would expect <laughs> a mental planetary commissioner who's been infected by the court to throw this old kind of tarpaulin off this Death Threat <laughs> missile that's been there for centuries. I, and now I have the option for one to add a little a mad commissar and his Death Threat missile. I can do that. Please do that, Matt. I've always wanted, <laughs> I've always wanted you to have a Death Threat missile. Notley, if you're listening, please. And I, I know you're a Death Strike, um, you know, fa- fanboy. Please, please get Matt to buy one. I, I want maybe to I'll, get maybe one. I'll paint one for my Death Corps of Krieg. Now they can take them as well. Yeah, yeah. It's all all these armies. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, <laughs> I I really really like this book, and I think it's one of the best ones that they've put out recently. Just from a just from a fun narrative, it's not necessarily going to be banana strong. I think there's some really good stuff you can do with it. I think strong players will do very well with it i just don't think there's any kind of cookie cutter you take this list and you win i think a lot of it's going to be about unit positioning where you pop your units up how you pop your units up even playing with the enemy psychologically like when we played obviously you didn't know where any of my units were deployed because half of them were blips and the other half were hidden elsewhere did you find that you know difficult to deploy against um because we was playing a smaller scale game it's a free player game as well yeah, wasn't it so it was wasn't yeah it wasn't too bad but i could imagine if you're playing 2000 points let's let's take for example obviously we don't we don't know the full details yet but we do know that the tower getting a mental invulnerable missing railgun if you don't know where your tanks are matt it, it's something like where do you place this tank so yeah it, it's 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 still a cool mechanic yeah yeah exactly and and that makes it trickier where you put that unit because you've got to bear in mind as well that your awesome tank of doom could quite easily have a unit pop up behind it and make my (laughs) high strength weapons suddenly plus one to wound it you Mm. know for example we don't know we don't know the stats of of hammerheads and so i don't think they had many wounds did they but you could Just see a standard a, battle tank, isn't it? Yeah, it's, well, let's call it twelve wounds, something like that. The Reductor Saboteur can throw a lot of demo charges. The um, the twenty four inch strength eight, three damage, two d three shots. Yeah, it could absolutely hurt a tank, especially if it's got plus one to wound on it. So yeah. you're gonna have to be careful how you position against the Gene Stealers. 
I think if you've got, as I mentioned earlier, stuff that can stop things from coming out of deep strike, that or spec scanners, that sort of thing, yeah. Yeah, that that will keep you safe. I think you're just going to have to be a bit more careful with yeah. your screening <clears throat> units to, because standard screening, a gene stealer might slip in the gaps. Yeah, I mean, and 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 from from uh, you know the, the from the opposite side of the battlefield. These guys generally, you're only toughness three with five plus six plus saves, aren't you? So you're not the most. I mean, we've talked about the mechanic that allows you to bring models back should the squad still be there, but that they're, they're, they're like a sneaky glass cannon, really. You have got some options in there. I know the is it the aberrants or whatever they're called are quite tough. Yeah, um, yeah. And you do get access, I think, to some feel no pain saves on some of your units, but generally you can't take many. You, you know, you want to spring up element of surprise take out your target and then slink back into the shadows if, if you don't manage to destroy that target or someone like say pops an spec scanner is able to counter to that that um surprise like popping up then then you are on the back foot then aren't you so there are ways yeah, to exactly. work around it which is dramatic I, I quite like that yeah, the idea is. though is that you'll have lots of these units popping up in lots of different places and the opponent can't cover all of his army and you know you can't protect everything against those surprise attacks. yeah exactly the way which, which fits perfectly, the way the army, the opponent should feel is like that scene in Aliens where they're setting up the turrets and they just see the blips getting closer and closer on the motion tracker. They don't know how many they are. They don't know where they are. They're going to pop in at some point. That is pretty much how the court plays against you, which is cool. And I'd like to see Tyranids get a little bit of that horror back. Yeah. I, I guess not now that the Gene Steeler courts have kind of lent into that thing. Um, I yeah, I think they've in, they've inherited the kind of Space Hawk blips alien style theme where when the Tyranids arrive, there's no secrecy anymore. It's just a big wave of horrible monsters coming towards you. Just make Tyranids um, strength 14, toughness 14, uh, 26 wounds. That, that's scary enough. Well, <laughs> we might see that kind of thing at this rate, but we'll see. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so that was a quick look over the Gene Stealer Courts Codex. I really like it. I'm looking forward to playing some games against these guys with it. Um, are you are you tempted to, to rekindle your Gene Stealer Court Force, Dave? Uh, yes. Yes and no, Matt. Um, so uh, the, the more the more days that pass of this year, the more I, I want to try and get built and painted the stuff i have but um yes i would like to revisit the gene silver cults at some point in the in the future amazing so yeah uh, our thanks to games workshop for sending that to us to review uh, as matt mentioned he's done a, a comprehensive review and and video as well for the book that will be there'll be a link for that in the podcast notes you can jump straight to that once you finish listening to the podcast check that out at your own leisure um and yeah i'm looking forward to 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 reviewing the next book uh right on that note i think we're going to take a slight pause and we're going to come back with this week's top three so there are quite a few different units out there in the different sort of universes of warhammer and whereas we like to think most of them kind of hit the mark and they play how you you would imagine they would play based on the lore and uh, you know they might have some really cool tasty rules either baked into kind of the stat lines or, or abilities there are quite a few units out there that, that that don't that maybe 
people just don't use them because they're not very good. Maybe they just don't fit the law um, like they should be intended to. Um, so that's what we're going to talk about this week um, with with our top three. Um, and I think the best way of really explaining this is by us running through our top threes um, to make sure that we're all kind of on point. So I'm going to do mine first. Um, for my third choice, chaos is a scary thing. Like the, the whole the warp is is terrifying there's so many twisted creatures and horrifying kind of manifestations in there you only have to kind of look at the warhammer plus uh show um i can't remember what episode it was but it was one of the episodes of uh, hammer and bolter and uh, the guy in the library and he's got like the zeech demons and stuff and there's lots of screaming and kind of his eyes bleeding and all that kind of thing chaos is scary so imagine life as a chaos space marine at the moment you've got to take a moment to to consider them because they're they're marching around with with one wound um they're not very scary i've watched quite a few battle reports of chaos armies where people just use cult cultists and like they just ignore the, the the humble chaos space marine because they're just they're just not very good and they're quite expensive in points um they don't really do anything special uh, and I think that's a real shame, especially because the new, I say new, they've been out a while now, but the, the new Care Space Marine models are, are really, really nice. I mean, I, I understand why they don't have two wounds yet, because... Um, they'll get, the, they'll the, surely get two wounds. Uh, they absolutely will do. I mean, you, you only have to look at the Thousand Sons, which are them and the Death Guard, obviously, have got their new books. You know, they've all got the extra wounds. So obviously, it's a question of points and balance and stuff. Um, and it just so happens that Chaos Space Marines just haven't got their book yet. Um, but I think they're really feeling it more than anything else. Um, I don't know if you well, guys agree. Book, yeah, and, and I mean, the, the Chaos Space Marines featuring in the Eldritch Omens book, uh, box against the Eldar. So we can only assume there's a Chaos Space Marine codex on the way. Um, yeah. And I imagine they'll get a new profile on that book. But the problem is, Games Workshop do often change stat lines because... Not everybody's on Warcom. Not everybody's like we 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 know about this stuff as soon as it happens because we'll be WhatsApping each other, we'll be checking Warcom. Not everybody's in that position where no. really most players will be just using that book. So it's rare unless they do reprint a new edition of the book, they're not going to change that stat line. The exception being where they can put out that product in a different form. So in a battle box, they can have a new data sheet in there and then back that up on the website so people can get it there as well tends to be how they do it like you say it's not going to be a million miles away till we get a new chaos codex anyway yeah 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 but um, they they were my third choice um my second choice uh is so i've, I've got a an Ekron army which i i really like and there's a particular vehicle for that army that is uh it got a brand new plastic kit uh it's very intimidating it's it should be very central to every Necron force, and that is the monolith. Mm. It's a fantastic model. Um, like I say, it's supposed to be like the centerpiece of your army, but nobody takes one, and that is because they are very easy to take down. Um, I meant to have the Necron book open so I could see what their toughness was. They did try to make a few tweaks, but it doesn't have an invulnerable save. Um, it, it, it's got quite short, I think the rate sort of mid range weapons um it's just not terrifying and i really think it needs to be it's you know, a lot of war isn't it as well yeah it's a lot of war so as well yeah that i think that's the main reason people don't take them because it's going to cost you cp to take one in your army yeah i i would like to see them 
do something different with vehicles in ninth edition i think you know lots of infantry units get lots of attacks in close combat i mean j- just take space marines for example space assault intercessor squad does space marines they get about 50 something attacks you know there's ways to add re-roll hits there's ways to add re-roll wounds of one there's ways to add additional ap there's ways to add um, all sorts of bonuses just to that basic squad of assault intercessors. They get into close combat with any tank. That tank is probably dead. Um, yeah. I would like to see tanks, you know, maybe there needs to be a classification of weapon. So a LAS cannon, in addition to all of the rules it currently has, has an anti-vehicle rule as well. And if you fire a LAS cannon at a tank, yeah, great, that's fine. That, that weapon is designed to be fired at tanks. But if you fire a bolt pistol at a tank or a chainsaw at a tank, I'd like there to be some sort of inbuilt resilience for that vehicle. So perhaps, for example, successful wound rolls have to be re-rolled or um, uh, the AP of those weapons does not dent vehicle armor. So so even though you, you, you're assaulting sisters with their chainsaws, they get an AP minus two, sometimes AP minus three against the tank. With this new proposed rule, they wouldn't. The tank would get its full save. You'd have to hit it with a melter bomb or a fusion gun or something like that to be able to bypass the tank's armour. Yeah, I, I think... like that. Oh, that's a really cool idea. But you could even tie it to the, the heavy rule that we've got at the minute. Obviously, heavy's got some downsides that, you know, you can't move and shoot it. But if heavy was specifically designed to pierce tank armour, like you say, mm. your standard shots don't go through. We obviously have to reclassify some of the, the melee weapons. But that's definitely something they could do for 10th edition without shaking up the game too much. Yeah, yeah. because I, I, I would like, I mean, there's some cracking tanks. I love the Space Marine tanks, but I just don't see, there's, they, they're always very expensive. And like the Monolith as well. I mean, remember when the Monolith first came out, it was, it, was, it was tougher than the Land Raider. You know, you had to dedicate some serious firepower and specific firepower to put a dent on a monolith. You know, that monolith most likely was going to be a threat for most of the game, and so it should be. It's supposed that, to be a, a floating fortress. It's a yeah. floating pyramid. It, it should be It should be solid to take down. I, um, I think those so. sort of things have suffered from the, you know, you can wound anything on a six, which I understand why that rule is in play. I do understand that. But obviously, back in 7th edition, there was no such rule. You know, a land raider could only be wounded by a weapon that was at least strength 5, and even then, only on a 6. Whereas now, a grot at strength 2, if there's enough of them, can kill a land raider. Um, And this is it. By doing that, you can still get that lucky shot on a 6, but hmm. there's a very high chance that the tank's going to survive it because it gets a... Bonus three plus arm or whatever. Who knows? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it'd be interesting. You, you can tell that that they're obviously thinking about this kind of thing because um, dreadnoughts and, and dreadnought type models seem to be getting this like minus one uh, damage. I know Hellbrutes of Chaos, I think, have got that now. Um, so they're, they're clearly thinking about. Yeah, I mean, but but I, they are. But I mean, that minus one damage <clears throat> that is an extra defense mechanism against anti-tank weaponry. Against a chainsaw that only does one damage, that doesn't have any impact. So True. Yeah. they need more protection, I think, against the anti-infantry type weaponry than they do against it. And then you could put a minus one damage reduction on a monolith so that when you do hit it with las cannons to, a, you know, to, to, to represent the fact that this monolith is a tough thing to get through, it's reducing your damage by one as well. I mean, the way they're, they're changing the damage characteristics of weapons nowadays, they've gone from that D6 sort of randomness to now you you almost get like a like the, the melt weapons the melt weapons two plus d6 
Uh, and we've seen some three plus D3 and things like that now to make it, you know, so you're doing some more guaranteed damage. It just makes tanks even more vulnerable, in my opinion. Yeah, we yeah. see stuff like the the, the, the saboteur energy to the cult's book where specifically against vehicles, that ridiculous grenade's got three damage. Yeah. Which kind of makes it into an anti-tank weapon, which is great. But for the poor monolith, uh, yeah, it's, it took a couple of them at it. It's going down very quickly. Yeah, yeah. And is a fraction of the cost. So, yeah, uh, he was my second choice. And, and to round off my top three, um, you kind of uh, hinted at these a little bit in the last segment. My top choice is the Carnifex for the Tyranids. Oh, it was on my list, Dave. I'll, oh, I'll scrub him off my list. No, but so, go, go for it, Dave. Go the, for the, it. The Carnifex has got a long history of being this frightening monstrosity. Um, and just over the last course of the last couple of books... He he's just a shadow of his his former self. I think a basic Carnifex hits on a four in degrades. I mean, I I don't want a monster's hit on a four. I mean, and then when he does, there's there's so much more. I think dreadnoughts, hellbrews and stuff do more damage than a Carnifex does. Um, they're just not frightening at all. They've lost their place in the army. Um, I think the whole Tyranid range just needs a, a really solid look at it because. You know, the Swarmlord's probably still scary, but there are scarier things. Um, I'd love to see them make a Carnifex model, Dave, like the size of a Riptide. Yeah. Just a a new Carnifex. It can be a Carnifex. I was just about to say, obviously, his size doesn't help because he's a lot smaller. He's like like the size of the old box dreadnoughts, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Back in the day was a big model, but nowadays, no, no. I think a Tau Battle suit is is about the same size as as an old box dreadnought now. I was and, really, and GW, I, GW loving the nostalgia at the minute. So you could make a big Carnifax without invalidating the old Carnifax mm. and just make it a, a new unit. Make it a Screamer Killer. Uh, obviously a reimagined version of the big four-clawed, horrific-looking thing. Yeah, um, a plastic old one-eye dual kit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. A Carnifax Rex. I, I don't know. Just, yeah, something. Uh, it just needs to be great again. Um, if it gets a new model, then, then great. I we're going to read this out in the next segment when we start talking about community and picks. But I'd already got Carnifex written down when I read somebody mentioned in the, you'll read it out shortly, Matt, about Carnifexes maybe flipping tanks or something or pushing tanks yeah. back when they charge in. <laughs> That'd be so cool. Um, especially like knocking stuff off, off objectives. If a Carnifex goes into an infantry unit or something, it, it kind of slams them back. Yeah, that that'd be really cool. I mean, one thing I should say, um, and I still need to pick this issue up um, for my Tyranids, in the latest White Dwarf, they've got a new army of renown for Tyranids, which concentrates on the monster heavy. I think it gives them more invulnerable saves. That is going some way to fixing the issues of making Tyranid monsters great again. Um, so, uh, yeah, kudos to you for picking that up. But, yeah, I think... As we're likely to see quite a big Eldar refresh by what we're seeing so far, um, hopefully Tyranids will get the same treatment, or if not quite the same treatment, you know, a good, good refresh. Code. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Matt, let's let's hear your top three. So I've cheated a little bit. I've cheated. I've not picked. I've picked, not picked models. I've not even picked units. In some cases, I've picked entire ranges. But we'll we'll roll with it. We'll, we'll roll with it. Number three, I have gone for 40k greater demons and de- 40k greater demons. 
I really think they need to be a lot more impressive than they are currently. In Age of Sigmar, I think they work fine. They've got awesome new profiles to represent the new kits. I think part of the problem is that 40k codex probably predates a lot of those plastic demon kits. Mm. And I think we really need just some new profiles to bring them up to date and make them as terrifying as they should be. We talked about vehicles, you know, not being very resilient. I think it's fairly easy to just take out these massive demons that are towering over the battlefield with quite little effort. Like you said, Jay, um, space marines with chainsaws get enough attacks to just not have to worry about the toughness of the monster. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I'd like to see them getting a bit of a buff. If I'm honest... I think we're overdue a brand new Demon Codex, making all that kind of stuff scary again. Do you know what I think would work really, really well for Greater Demons? Because obviously one of the major problems is they don't make combat because they get shot to pieces. What I would like to see is maybe some sort of rule similar to... Um, what's the what's the big guy from Yonaru called, Jay? The big the, the demigod. <clears throat> so he, he manifests, doesn't he, when a, a unit dies? Yeah. I'd like to see something like that. Like, imagine you're there fighting all these like little demons, and then you you kill just a couple of little demons, and all of a sudden this massive great demon manifests itself like six inches away from you and just slams into combat. That is pretty terrifying. Yeah, I'd I'd like to see that for demons because demons, if you think about it, aren't going to deploy like a normal army. And this is something they actually did in Horus Heresy, where you actually get kind of summoning portals on the battlefield and your demons come onto the battlefield through these portals. Yeah, yeah and their strength by was like wax and wave, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly, yeah. I, I I think the Demon Codex is built very much like a regular army where they're anything but a regular army. And yeah. it seemed the cool stuff they've done to change the gene stealer playstyle to make them seem like they do in the lore. You could have some really cool stuff, like you say, a unit dies and a, a unit of demons bursts out of them or something. That'd be really cool. Yeah. They've got a lot of sort of creativity, creative freedom with demons because obviously they're not real. Uh, yeah. You know, and there's, you know, the, the Zinch all mutations everywhere, Nurgle with his play guard, and they, they, they can do a lot. They've got a, 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 quite a lot to sort of draw a lot of inspiration from. So they could come up with some really novel sort of mechanics for that army. Like you say, they're sure they can do it because the Gene Steeler cults have done a really good job of representing what they are in the fluff with how they play on the tabletop. So. Yeah, I hope I hope they try and go kind of out there and do something wacky rather than play it safe and just have it as a normal melee army. Yeah, yeah. So yes, that's my first choice. My second choice, again cheating a little bit, the Slaves to Darkness. Now I want to see something harkening back to the old Path to Glory rules from Warhammer of old, where essentially a Chaos army would be a Chaos warlord and his little entourage of various followers and and tribes so we've seen some of this in some of the the war cry stuff but i picture a slaves of darkness army being maybe multiple different um warlords and each warlord having their own kind of like little detachment so you could have a um a, a beastman contingent that's a detachment for want of a better word of your army and then you could have a detachment of chaos warriors led by a chaos warrior hero and then maybe a tribe of um tribesmen from the war christ led by um the dark oath war queen just kind of like mini armies that slot together 
so yes, that's not really a concept that we we see currently in the way Chaos plays in Age of Sigmar. I don't know what you guys think of that kind of mismatched army. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think I think I agree with what with what you're saying. I mean, what they've done with like the Magikin is they brought in like alliance limits and stuff, haven't they? And I I can only imagine. I don't really know enough about how an army of slaves of darkness is built army wise. I, I I don't know how much you can take from like blades of corn and stuff. Is it still just based on the keyword? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd, I'd, I'd probably steer away from that because then it, I guess okay. it's the same with the genes. So the courts it becomes a corn army, but like yeah. a, a, a beastman part of the force and a chaos warrior part of the force and a marauder part of the force, all with their own independent warlord, but act separately. I think would be the way I envision a Slaves of the Darkness army to work in a in a real war. Yeah, fair, fair enough. That sounds a little bit like, isn't there a Slanesh one? Is it the Pretenders yeah, where they have pretenders, yeah. three different warlords that you don't really want them next to each other because then they start degrading each other, but they're kind of all vying to lead the army. Yeah. You'd have kind a mechanic like where your warlord, your general would be, you know, every time your general kills a unit or a model, his warriors are inspired and, you know, get better. And if he starts losing fights, they sort of get a bit demoralized and start wandering off. You could sort of represent the, you know, he has to obviously, he has to be good at his at killing things to, to keep his horde of uh, followers sort of on side, doesn't he? Yeah. And if you think of the path to glory stuff they could do with that, that'd be amazing as well. You'd have like the Orc Crusade bit from 40k where you'd get rival sort of champions challenging him to lead the horde and things like that yeah so i think i think that'd be cool and kind of give you the tribes feel of a slaves of darkness army which i think in recent days has really become archeon and the ever chosen and some chaos on the sidelines i think i'd like yeah. to see the hordes of chaos return my third choice is again i'm cheating a little bit but it is aircraft in warhammer 40,000. i don't think aircraft play like aircraft should feel Okay, even with the changes in ninth edition with the flying off and flying back on? Even with the changes, because you can still kind of like pivot your plane around the table. In a real battle, that plane flies over at, you know, hundreds of miles an hour and maybe does a single strike. But the, the game that I've played with my favourite aircraft mechanics is Epic 40k. In that, your aircraft was stationed at a base and you could scramble them out to either hit targets with bombers or intercept enemy flyers. Do you remember the old flying high rules in, in Warhammer Fantasy? Yes. I could envision there being a sub-game where your your kind of interceptors could be trying to take out enemy bombers on a bigger scale than, than you know, a standard game of 40k, while your bombers are trying to go in and, and, and bomb the battlefield. I don't... I, if you picture kind of the size of a battlefield... I just find it hard to believe these planes are just kind of circling around the whole battle and not just screaming overhead, firing some missiles, going back to base to refuel, which was a mechanic in Epic, and then scrambling out again to do another mission. I just think there could be some really cool stuff with it instead. The the, the problem is maybe I I'm not understanding what, what your like your terminology stuff, but the the you, it doesn't sound like you'd have to model on the board for very long, which I guess would hurt sales of aircraft. Um, yeah, that is the danger. And whether you have a side table or I don't know. I, yeah, you're right. Because in Epic, obviously the battlefield's a lot bigger because the models are smaller. Mm. So even though the, 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 the plane covers the table in two turns, 
on a 40k scale one, it's gone over the battlefield in the blink of an eye. So I know you've got to yeah. abstract it a little bit. I just, I don't know. I just feel there's something they could do to just get the flavour of them. Yeah. I know we've kind of got it with kind of you've got weapons that affect aircraft and kind of flyer weapons that affect ground targets heavier. I just, I wonder if there is more they can do with them, maybe. I think, I think it's definitely something they, they can't quite get right, but it's better than it ever has been uh, at the moment. The problem uh, I have, yeah. yeah, is the bases are too big, so they, they're a bit unwieldy to place on a board, especially if you're playing the smaller board sizes now as well, the smaller game sizes. You know, like a, a, a Storm Raven's base is quite big. Um, yeah, you know what? Maybe that's maybe that's part of the problem because because the board's got so much smaller. It's just uh, suspension of disbelief is kind of shattered a little bit with these, um, the, you know. High speed aircraft just doing donuts in a football pitch sized area. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they need to make the the planes a bit smaller scale, (laughs) but then obviously it looks a bit odd then, doesn't it? I don't know. I think think what they are doing is if you think about, like, I'm thinking about the flies that are currently in Warhammer 40k that you can buy in plastic. And the stu- the, the, they very much lean towards stuff that has ho- hover capabilities. Like yeah. I'm pretty sure that's why they designed the the Archaeopter for the Adeptus Mechanicus, like they did. The Corvus, the the Valkyrie, the um, they've all kind of got these. The ones that obviously stick out that don't, but you would imagine would be very agile, are like your Hemlocks, Jay, for your yeah. Eldar, your Drakari ones, which are going to have a bit more maneuverability. The Heldrakes, you imagine. I mean, they tried to make you imagine like this thing is just a mechanicized dragon. So it's going to have, like, you know, it's going to be not flying as quick as, say, like a... You know, we don't see stuff like lightning jet fighters, because, like you say, Matt, that would just be vumph over the battlefield and gone. Yeah, um, you know what, maybe that's, maybe that's it. I've got Valkyries and stuff, OK, that's essentially a 40k helicopter. That fits. And like you said, the Heldrake fits. I think it is really your, your, your fast interceptors, like your Drakari and your... Eldari, it's all yeah. the elves basically. The, yeah. the the craft doesn't look like it'd be able to stay within that little postage stamp, relatively sized battlefield. No, it doesn't. And like, I mean, what they could do with the Eldar stuff like that is make it smaller. So the the Space Marines Storm, what they call the Stormhawk, Stormhawks. It's quite a small little thing. You know, yeah. you could easily have like a one man, one you know, one man seater little jet engine jet bike with longer wings for example like hornet you know the elder hornets the, the like viper sort of sized little aircraft mm. dodging in and out yeah i think you're right i think there's the scale of a of a what's it called a wraith fighter i forget what they call yeah. the older ones and what wraith it's, fighter, yeah. it's just got not a lot of breathing space with the model on the table has it no mm. no it hasn't and that, it, yeah whether there is a a rule solution for that or not i don't know maybe there is Maybe like you say, the, 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 the other option isn't ideal where you have the model off the table, then obviously that eats model sales, so I get that. Yeah. I don't know. People it's... want to paint it up and put it on the battlefield, don't they? But Yeah, even even if, I don't know, they moved in the enemy movement phase, shot in yours and moved off, just something to represent how fast they're going. Yeah, that's an option. That yeah. might force people to take them off the battlefield and bring them back on as reserves, yeah. Yeah, just like where there's a, a because they're moving so fast, there's a lag between them being on the battlefield and off again. You've got a short short window to shoot them down, but equally you've got to think a, t- a turn ahead of where you want them. I don't yeah. know. 
I'm not a rules writer, but, but I don't know. I just feel that something's missing from Flyers. I agree. I agree with you. And there's such, such nice kits as well. Like, I look at the Town Flyers. Like, the Barracuda's small enough, but the Tiger Shark's such an amazing model, but just so unpractical in a game. Yeah, exactly. Like you, you previously had a, a um, Thunderhawk, which is an amazing kit, but I mean, yeah. we, I struggled to use a Titan. A flyer arguably is even more awkward and precariously yeah. balanced during a game to destroy everything on the table if it falls mm-hmm. over. <laughs> a weapon that's in itself. Exactly. Excellent, excellent choice. Was that your final section, Matt? That was my final choice. Yeah, I, I couldn't remember. It. Sorry. <coughs> That just leaves one more team member to give give us his top three. Jay, what's on your list? So, well, the Carnifex was on my list, Dave. Um, I, I'm not going to repeat what you said. I think you're dead right about the Carnifex. It used to give me nightmares in third edition, and rightly so. It would be great to see it brought back and given, you know, the, the upscaling treatment it deserves. Um, <clears throat> my first um, unit on the uh, on my list is the uh, Luminef Realm Lords, Venari Blade Lords. So I like these, actually. I, I don't mind them. I think they're great. Um, they're really nice models. They're like the reimagined Swordmasters from the old High Elf range. And I don't think the rules are too bad. They've got a nice bodyguard rule. And obviously, you've got a lot of squishy mages in the Luminaf Army that you want to protect. These can do that. Um, and they've got some cool abilities. They've got the different attacks that they can do, a, a, a normal sort of anti-horde attack, and then a, a more powerful single uh, automatic hit, always runes on a 2+. plus. Um, I would like to see um, them, though, more closely resemble the Swordmasters of old. So the Swordmasters of old used to be able to deflect arrows out the out the air as they you know as they were marching across the battlefield, which I think would be quite a um, strong ability in today's sort of meta in Age of Sigma with lots of ranged weapons um, that people are taking for their armies, Bolt Boys, Luminef Sentinels, that sort of thing. Um, also, they were like um, the, the sort of guardians of the White Tower of Hoif, so they had that sort of um, I don't know, sorcery, arcane element to them as well. And they do get a little bit of that. I think they're more resistant to, like, spells. Um, but it would be nice to see them, um, like, the lore seeker or sort of, you know, them being able to cast spells like other Luminef units can in the in the book. So they probably fit the background for Avenari Blade Lord quite well. But I think I've just got a sentimental soft spot for the old High Elf Swordmasters. Um, yeah. That was my uh, number three choice. My second choice is um, one of my favourite things in the whole Warhammer 40,000 universe, and it's the Harquin Solitaire. I love this um, unit. I love the model. I love the background for him. I love, you know, how he's, like, already damned. Um, he's sort of... The, the, the Laughing God forfeits his soul to, to Slanesh, but then at the last second can try and sneak in and snatch it back. Um, and the Solitaire in the background is terrifying. He's like, uh, you know, even other Eldar fear him. Um supernatural reflexes uh, just weaves a bloody mess through enemy infantry absolutely crazy bonkers um and some of those rules have translated well into warhammer 40,000 9th edition he's certainly very fast he certainly gets a lot of attacks he's quite tough to take down he's got this inbuilt minus one to hit he's got a three plus invulnerable save which is um quite a becoming quite a rarity in Warhammer 40k really yeah. there's not many things now that still have that three plus Gulliman has it and a couple of other units but not many um, but he doesn't really do a lot in games he doesn't really cut his way through very many squads I mean you guys have fought him a lot now and he's not really that I mean once you get over the initial my gosh he's very fast how did he get there so quickly 
But then it doesn't really take much to get rid of him, and he doesn't really kill a lot. Um, I would like to see his points go up a bit and to turn him into a proper terror. I mean, if you look at the Adeptus Custodes Blade Lord Champion, um, Blade Champion, I think it's Blade Lord Champion, Blade Champion, I'm getting confused with Venera units now. The new um, Custodian unit that came out in the uh, the recent box versus the Gene Steel Cults. Um, we talked about him last week on the podcast. He's amazing. He is just terrifying to face in close combat, and he will get damage done against greater demons, as Matt mentioned, against hordes of infantry and anything in between. I would like to see the Hulk and Solitaire get similar treatment. Yeah, um, good shout that one. Um, used used to terrify me. Yeah, I mean, it, it, back in third edition, there was like a third edition. I'm not sure if it was a White Dwarf or an unofficial codex or a, a beta test codex, and there were all sorts of equipment, domino fields, and all sorts of things you could give to them. Um, you know, I don't know. It would be nice to be able to put the Solitaire down and know that he's actually gonna do some real damage this game. Um. My last choice then is we've seen we've seen bits of him. We know we know a model is coming, so we can only assume there's going to be new rules coming. But this guy, I think, suffers as well from a similar sort of rules problem that the Greater Demons have that Matt talks about. It's the Eldar Avatar of Cain. Mm. Um, at the moment, he's a dinky little model. You know, it's not too great. Not not too much to be worried about. I'm hoping we get a really, really impressive centerpiece model, obviously, when it comes out. But I would like to see it as well get Greater Demon-style rules. Like what Matt said, the Greater Demons from Age of Sigma are not the Greater Demons we currently see in 40k. It needs to be, you know, I don't know, toughness 8 or toughness loads of wounds, a really, really powerful sword. I mean, we've seen what Bellacore can do. We've seen what, like, the Nightbringer... Um, it's the Nightbringer, isn't it? And the Void Dragon can do. Mm. They are capable of creating these super sort of godlike characters gaskill with the damage reduction um yeah i'd really like to see the eldar avatar of kane um become a force to be reckoned with on the tabletop excellent yeah and, and you know what also um kind of fits what you were just saying then jay again this is like the second hammer and bolter episode that i've um, referred to is the um uh, I can't remember what the episode was called, but the one with the striking scorpions and stuff, and you got the avatar in it. Oh yeah, and he's just basically emerged as half of an ultramarine's army. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Not yeah. expecting the new model to do that. But... <laughs> no. Well, you never know. You never know. But yeah, it would be cool for it to be um, a proper terror on the battlefield. I mean, it's obviously going to be the points, and but the, the, it, you know, I think Bellacore is a good sort of over oh, Demon Primarch, for example. You know, they're tough, powerful. They've got a lot of rules and abilities. You know, they are quite threatening on the battlefield, but they're not insurmountable. There are ways around them, and they are a big chunk of points. But they, but they're fun to play with, and they're fun to play against. And I think an avatar of Kane, you know, he's like he's like a shard of a god. He should be on a similar power level to Mortarion Magnus, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Well, they are our choices. We do have one final segment of this week's podcast left. It's the community choices, and that's coming up next. It is the final segment of this week's episode, and it's time to read out the community top three choices. I believe we've got some good ones over on Twitter, Matt. We have got some cool ones. So Anonymous Rex says, Chaos Cultists. The unit would be good if you could replace cult leaders with Marines. Yes. Oh wow. Giving them yeah. one heavy hitter with the rest of the chaff. I love that idea. That's amazing. Yeah. 
Um, number two, Carnifex needs a stratagem to flip or pin vehicles and other monsters via a roll. Again, <laughs> that's the that one. That'd be incredible. And finally, Terminator Deep Strike causing warp sickness. Minus one uh, to hit, for example. Hmm. Stormcast gets something similar, don't they, with their lightning they that do. comes in? Um, uh, G Ambulance Service, I would like uh, one Space Marine to have the rules of 30 Space Marines. Um, <laughs> Didn't there used to be some fan made codex for that? What movie Marines or something they were called? Movie Marines, yes. <laughs> uh, two minutes to grow bigger in size, represented by replacing models with bigger ones the more they eat. <laughs> and uh, this is what I mentioned. Greater demons being the scariest units in all systems, just like the good old days, having all their stats at 10. Demons were terrifying back in the day. They're less scary now. Uh, Leaky Cheese popped up to say, I would second all these suggestions. Uh, Tam the Third, Bloodthirster, as per Warhammer Fantasy Battle 4th edition, should be an equal of an entire army. This is my only request, and I will die on this hill. Thank you for your time. No, I agree. <laughs> Demons should be big, terrifying things. And arguably, we've seen that in the Nurgle book. The, the great and clean ones are quite expensive now. I don't mind them being expensive points. You know, you may not be able to fit multiple ones in your army, but they're going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. Nevermore says for Warcry, Chaos Warriors and Blood Warriors should get more wounds and hit harder at higher costs. And Night Haunt should have some sort of bravery roll before they get attacked. That's cool, because they're spooky ghosts. Uh, Mark Kittle, uh, aggressors need some more durability. Reavers, great models but rubbish rules. And a repulsor took one to Pancalis and it died first turn in three of the games and essentially did nothing. Yeah, and it's like 350 points or something as well. Yeah. Uh, Adrian Hurst, one, two, and three would be the Night Haunt and Age of Sigmar. Um, I don't know how, but the no rule, no rend rule works the opposite to the na- ghostly nature in fiction. It makes them great against elite high-end things, but weaker against mass no-rend uh, grunts. Yeah, that's a good point, that, because they don't get affected by rend. Suddenly, Archeon's really scared of a ghost, but your general infantry who's got no rend anyway doesn't care. I imagine Nighthaunt will get quite a big revision when they come out anyway. Mm. Uh, Wild West Wargaming says, Chaos Space Marines... Lehman Rust tanks and tanks in general and greater demons because they have the same problems that tanks do. And Darren Winter, Striking Scorpions, Imperial Guard veterans and the Avatar of Cain. Some excellent, excellent choice in that. And um, yeah, totally agree on that Carnifex one. Uh, Matt, that leads us to ask, what is next week's top three? So obviously we've got some new scenery on the way for 40k. Next week, we want to know the top three dream scenery sets you would like to see. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. I can imagine some really cool ones for, well, across all of it, maybe Lord of the Rings. I'd like a Minas Tirith, please. <laughs> a complete Minas Tirith. I'll take a Helm's Deep. Okay, I'll take a Helm's Deep. Anyway, we'll discuss our top threes uh, next week. You'll get week. a prancing pony and you'll be happy, Dave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll read out uh, all of um, your uh, choices as well. So if you do want to get your um, top threes in, you can do so via social media. Um, either get them in straight after you listen to the podcast or alternatively hang fire until sort of the Sunday or Monday before we record. Uh, of which then we'll put a tweet or a message out that you can reply to to make sure that we get it. And yeah, we'll read as many as we can out on the next show. Uh, and that brings this week's episode to a close. Hopefully we'll have Andy with us next week. 
Um, until then, have a great week at Hobby, and we'll speak to you all again very soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Sprues and Brews podcast. For more content, remember to check out spruesandbrews.com. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, send us a tweet at spruesandbrews or head over to facebook.com forward slash spruesandbrews. <laughs>